This show is created for adult audiences only. Our show notes include content warnings and other helpful information. We strongly recommend taking a moment to assess the situation before continuing. Let's begin. Episode 68 The Mothman Phenomenon Part 2 Injured Cold Injured Cold, also known as the Grinning Man, was part of the strange phenomena that occurred in West Virginia from 1966 to 1967. This was during the time in the height of the UFO frenzy and countless Mothman encounters and sightings. Was this man somehow linked to these strange occurrences? Who is Andrew Cold? Alien? Cryptid? Member of the Men in Black? Let's find out. It was a cold, rainy night on November 2nd, 1966. Woodrow Derenberger was driving his Ford Econo van down Route I-77 from Marietta, Ohio to his home in Mineral Wells, West Virginia at roughly 7.25 p.m. Upon nearing the intersection of Route 47, he started going uphill at approximately 50 miles per hour. One of the sewing machines he had been hauling had fallen over. Alarmed by this, he turned on his dome light to look back. At that point, he spotted a car coming up the highway behind him, blinking its lights to pass. As the car passed him, he noticed another vehicle behind it, This wasn't a usual vehicle, but a flying machine of some kind. It did not have any lights or anything. It quickly came up next to his car and then pulled slightly ahead of him, turned sideways, and stopped. To avoid colliding with the object, Derenberger slowed his vehicle and pulled off the road to the right. However, The vehicle was blocking the entire road, and he could not go around it. At that point, the door to the strange craft opened, and a man emerged from within it. The craft then ascended in the air roughly 50 to 100 feet off the ground, and hovered over Derenberger's van. As the man walked towards the van, the headlights illuminated his features. At first sight, he appeared to be a pleasant man, dressed in a dark navy blue metallic overcoat with the top two buttons undone. The pants he wore appeared to be a shade lighter than his coat. 
He stood roughly 5 foot 10 inches to 5 foot 11 inches tall. He appeared to weigh between 180 to 185 pounds, with a thick head of dark colored hair that was combed straight back over his head. The man also appeared to have a tan, and by all accounts, looked normal in every way. At first, the man stood there under the pouring rain, just staring back at Derenberger. At that point, he seemed to receive a message from the man, telling him to roll down the passenger's side window. To his surprise, the man then walked up to the vehicle and stood very close. He then told Derenberger that he would like to speak to him. The man told him to not be frightened, and then asked for his name. Derenberger was in fact frightened by the strange events that were taking place. The man told him that he could either think his answer or say it out loud, whichever was easier for him to do. Without saying his answer verbally, the man quickly replied, Nice to meet you, Mr. Derenberger. The man said his name was Cold. He then asked if Derenberger worked for a living, and if he had to, which Derenberger replied, yes. He proceeded to tell him he was a salesman. The man that called himself Cold told Derenberger that he was a searcher, and that he should not be frightened. He wished him no harm only happiness he stood there smiling with his arms folded across his chest cold asked him what the lights in the distance were although he didn't point at them specifically the image Derenberger saw in his head was of the man pointing towards the city Derenberger told him it was the city of Parkersburg Cold then asked him if all the people lived there. Derenberger told him it was a place of business and trade. Most of the people live in the suburbs. Cold then proceeded to tell Derenberger where he was from. What we call a city was referred to as a gathering where he lived. He then said, Mr. Derenberger, look at me. I am the same as you are. I sleep, breathe, and bleed even as you do. Cold spoke to him telepathically throughout their conversation. He often reassured him by saying, Have no fear. We mean you no harm. He also told Derenberger his country was not nearly as powerful as ours. At that point, Cold told him to report the incident to local officials, and he would confirm the story at a later time. He then told Derenberger he would see him again. Without notice, the ship descended back to the ground. Cold walked over to it. The door opened, and he walked inside. The machine then rose straight up while making a soft, fluttering sound. Derenberger then quickly drove off and headed home.
entire drive home was a blur. When he arrived, he talked to his wife and explained what had happened. She immediately suggested that he call the police. She could tell that he was still shaken up a bit. She took over and explained to the police the details of what he had recounted. They instructed her to hang up and they would contact them back. After 10 minutes, they called back. They said not to be frightened, as they had numerous similar reports that same evening. The next morning, Derenberger awoke thinking about the incident. He couldn't get the image of the ship out of his head. It seemed to be 45 to 60 feet long, and it stood between 12 to 20 feet tall. The only way he could think to compare the ship's shape was to an old-fashioned kerosene lamp chimney. It was also a dark charcoal gray color. There were no lights, and the only entrance to the craft appeared to be the one Cold emerged from. It also made a light fluttering sound similar to the wings of a hummingbird. He could hear it on repeat. No matter what he did that day, he continued seeing images of the strange craft in his head. The next day, Derenberger had left for work at 8pm. He was still very much caught up in the experience he had the night before. His employer noticed something was different with him, and asked what was wrong. He couldn't keep the encounter a secret and found himself recalling all the details. At first, the man laughed at him, but quickly realized Derenberger was being completely serious and believed what he had told him. Shortly after 10 a.m., a producer from WTAP-TV in Parkersburg came into a store and requested an interview with him. He agreed and went to the studio at 2.30pm later that afternoon. He was met by numerous personnel, news reporters, police officers, an Air Force officer, and several others. They questioned him from 2.30pm to 6pm. That same day, reports began flooding the police department radio and TV stations. Many had seen the same craft in the sky. A report came in from a woman that was with her two children and had been driving down the same road Derenberger had left the craft previously. They stopped and watched it for roughly five minutes before it then flew away in the direction of Parkersburg. Another man was driving down the same stretch of highway when the craft ascended and hovered over his car. It then shined a bright white light on him. He fled quickly and immediately went to explain what had happened to the police. Later that night, two truck drivers were also stopped on Route I-77 by the same ship. However, they did not report the incident to the police. Instead, they later told their story to John Keel. 
After Darren Berger left the TV station, he went home. He was met by several friends and random people he had never met before. They wanted him to tell his story again. Some even said that they had seen the same craft. He spent some time retelling the story to satisfy those in attendance. Shortly after, he requested everyone go home as he had to work the following day. The next day on November 4th, 1966, was another day that Derenberger would never forget. He was on his way home from Pomeroy, Ohio. A friend had been riding with him that day. They were driving down Route 7 towards Parkersburg when Derenberger felt a strange tingling sensation on his forehead. He quickly determined that Kolb was trying to communicate with him. At first, he tried not to answer. However, the sensation persisted, and he finally gave in, knowing it wouldn't stop. The passenger riding with him knew something was going on. He too felt a strange sensation, but did not know what it was. Cold told him to slow down and drive very carefully. His ship was high in the sky, directly above Derenberger's van, and he was following him. He told him, the first time that he had been contacted was only to calm him and settle his fears. Cold kept reminding him to drive carefully. The idea of having a conversation telepathically was a very strange and new concept to Derenberger. It took him some time to fully adjust. Cold proceeded to tell him that he was from a planet called Lanulos, which was located close to the galaxy of Ganymede. He said it was practically the same as ours. There were forests, fields, streams, and oceans. He also said that he had collected samples from plants and animals on Earth and compared them to the ones found on Lanulos and, despite minor differences, were very much the same. He continued to tell Derenberger that he was married to a woman named Kimmy and had two sons. One was eight years old and the other was 11 years old at the time. They would also go on to have a daughter named Camillus. Cold also told him that time is different on his planet. They also have three seasons. Planting, harvesting, and cold. He said that their people have a life expectancy of 125 to 175 Earth years. By this time, they were nearing the end of their conversation. He explained that his first name was Indrid, and that he was going to break contact. When he did so, Derenberger would receive a shock and needed to prepare himself for it. However, that was not the case. He felt excited and chose not to tell anyone about the second contact with the man, now known as Indrid Cold. Till he eventually revealed the events of a second contact to NICAP, National Investigations Committee on Aerial Phenomena. 
Shortly after Christmas in 1966, Darren Berger and his family took a trip to Cocoa Beach, Florida, to visit NASA. During that time, Darren Berger was introduced to a man known only as Charlie, head of NASA. He then proceeded to tell him his story. He was forced to tell the story multiple times, but they were never happy with the information provided. They wanted more than he was able to tell. They were aware of the planet Lanulos. Derenberger asked them why they would not tell the public, and he was told that it would cause a panic that the public wasn't ready for. While on a talk radio show in Washington, D.C., a young man called in by the name of Ed. He was happy to hear Derenberger's story because he, too, had been contacted and had gotten to visit Lanulos. They ended up scheduling a time to meet and discuss his story. When Derenberger went to meet the man, he took with him John Keel and Harold Salkin. Ed told them that he had been stopped in the middle of the highway much like Derenberger. Additionally, he was contacted in a restaurant where he had been working as a waiter. When he was dropped off in front of his home one night, a man he had met previously known as Vadik told him to get in the car, and then he was taken to Lanulos. One night, Derenberger returned home from work later than usual. As soon as he opened the door to his van, he heard Indrid cold. He was there to visit him and brought his friend Carl. They had been waiting for him at the back porch. They ended up talking for two hours. Indrid and his friend Carl spoke of their planet and how they lived. They had never experienced any kind of war and did not understand the word hate. They were taught from childhood that they are all brothers and sisters. They believed in one God that created all the worlds and life itself. They believe that every man is equal and there is one denomination of faith on their planet. They call themselves God's children. Derenberger tried to explain our way of life and our beliefs. However, despite how hard he tried to explain, the men did not understand. Indrid Cold explained the difficulty of both of our worlds being able to work together. He also stated that everyone is born with the ability of telepathy, but most never learn to use it. After they concluded their conversation, Cold and Carl left. Two days later, Derenberger was once again met by Andrew Cold and Carl, who he now knew his last name as Ardo. They invited him to see the inside of the ship. They showed him around for a while, and he was eventually offered a chance to take a ride with them. They offered to take him anywhere on Earth that he wanted to go. He chose to go to the Amazon jungle. When they arrived, they opened the portholes. They were hidden by metal shutters that revealed the windows. They then went out of the Earth's atmosphere and went to the mothership 
Derenberger was introduced to the commander of the ship and various people on board. He was then shown to the dining room and ate some of their food that was comparable to ours. After they had been there for a while, Indrid told him that they were taking another trip. They went to Saturn. To his surprise, the entire planet was very agricultural. Derenberger was told that people on the planet lived inside of it. After that, they went to Lanulos. The planet was very similar to ours. As much as he wanted to, he couldn't land at the time because he would need to be decontaminated. He learned a lot about Lanulos on that trip. In May of 1967, Derenberger received another message from Indrid Cold, offering to take him back to Lanulos. When he arrived on the ship, he was finally introduced to Cold's family. They went directly to the mothership and were taken to Lanulos. The entire trip lasted roughly 30 minutes. He was then decontaminated by several immunization shots. When they arrived, Derenberger was in awe of how beautiful the planet really was. The vast rolling hills and rivers and oceans were more vibrant and lively than ours. Cold then took him to their home. It was an ordinary home and appeared to be made of bricks. After that, he was taken to a nearby gathering. When he was introduced to a group of people standing on the street, he felt very out of place. In Lanulos, the only time they wear clothing is when they are in the cold season. He was later asked to disrobe so he could blend in more. He agreed and did so. They spent the majority of the day there, and then Derenberger was taken back to Earth. After the TV interview, his story was picked up by various news outlets, spreading it all over the world. Derenberger was contacted at all hours of the day. The phone was constantly ringing, and people were coming from all over for a chance to see the flying crafts and to hear his story. At first, he was thrilled that people wanted to know more. However, it started to get out of hand. He found himself having to contact the police to get people to leave. The family started getting harassed. The children would be mocked at school and told that their father was a liar. Even Derenberger's work slipped because he didn't have enough time and he was paid on commission as he was a salesman. Things became so bad they were forced to move selling most of their belongings in the process. It wasn't long before the location of their house had been made public, after some UFOs were spotted over the river near where they lived. Everyone assumed the crafts were there for Derenberger. This drew even larger crowds. The family moved again. This time they moved in the middle of the town of Vienna, West Virginia, where they felt that they were finally safe. However, a short while later, Derenberger was visited by a film crew from Germany 
wanting to make a documentary telling his story. At this time, Derenberger's wife left him, along with the children, and moved to Cleveland, Ohio. Derenberger stayed in contact with Injured Cold and the people of Lanulos, till I finally caught up with him. He eventually stopped talking about it altogether. Over the course of the years between 1966 to 1967, West Virginia was indeed no stranger to the strange and unexplained. With so many UFO sightings, Mothman encounters, and Derenberger's time spent with the man named Indrid Cold, one can only assume these events were loosely related to some degree. Despite the frenzy the state found itself in during this time, the events that followed would become far more devastating. Welcome, campers, to Campfire Tales of the Strange and Unsettling. Oh yeah, we're your hosts. I'm Ryan. And I'm Jordan. And now the debrief. Welcome. All right, so Endred Cold. Yeah, 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 yeah. This is a... A huge subject. A lot of people debate whether or not this has anything to do with Mothman. I mean, I I debate whether or not this has anything yeah. to do with Mothman, but um, it's still. I think a lot of the it's it's part of the strange shit going on in West Virginia at the time, though. Yeah. So that's I was going to say, I, th- I think that like the way we're approaching Mothman is to just like dive into the whole soup right. of weird shit that was going on at the time. So I think. This is a, definitely a worthy inclusion. Yeah, I mean, yeah, I agree. I agree. That's, I mean, that's why. Yeah, I think it's a fair, fair contender at least to uh, to be brought up and we kind of talked about within you know, within this bit of bit of whatever. Yeah, and I mean, I think honestly, Indrid Cold is the only sort of character that rivals Mothman in the most famous weird shit from West Virginia. Yeah, I yeah, I would agree. I would definitely agree with that. And people have, you know, people have made lots of cool conjecture about it, like like um characterize injured cold as this like interdimensional bounty hunter that's hunting Mothman. Oh uh, yeah. You know. That's possible. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, there's Super really cool. a lot that you can say about injured cold as to like who exactly this guy is that's and that's one of the first things i say is like who is indrid cold like what what is indrid cold right yeah you know because i mean yeah i could i could definitely i could get behind some like bounty hunter shit like that's pretty cool yeah i like that yeah it would make Um, a hell of a comic book oh yeah without a doubt it would for sure (laughs) i remember way back when i um when i interviewed matthew shang Mothboy Matt, when he was on for a fireside chat, we talked a lot about that. Like, they were working on, like, storyboarding a comic book about it for a while, but it never really got off the I ground. I mean, somebody needs to. Like, whoever does it first, like, you could, you literally have something really awesome. Right? I, like, the folks I who don't do, know like, why Department anybody of would Truth. S- would stop, like, stop, like, planning something like that, because, yeah, that could be really cool. Yeah. And within I, like I mean, this like niche and stuff, like, I think that would do extremely well. Yeah, definitely. Um, so this story is 
I mean, let's like take a second and look at it objectively. It's a pretty fucking wild story. It is. Um, I don't know if it's any more wild than any other, let's just say, abduction cases, right? Because, yeah, like, yeah. I, getting back into what or who is injured cold, like, I mean, obviously, he's an alien to some degree. Yeah. You know, uh, that's first and foremost, I, I want to say. So, you know, putting him in an in line or in that, like, category, right? As compared to, like, some of these very obscure, strange abductions and stuff like that that are just off the wall, like Whitley Strieber, you know, sure. uh, Betty and Barney Hill, like, their stuff, which we'll actually talk about that a little bit later because I have some side side things that we'll talk about. Um, yeah. But, yeah, like, you know, it's not as, like, it's, it's not as far-fetched as any of that, in my That's, opinion. I mean, yeah. I, I don't know. I put it I put it in the same category as all the other like extraterrestrial fan fiction stuff. The like fan fiction stuff. Yeah. All yeah. Right. Yeah. The like you know, the people who like claim to spend these massive chunks of time on other planets with Right. I mean at least these aren't like little blue little blue guys and like these brown guys and these gray guys and all this <laughs> other stuff. Like, you know, like Again, I'm I'm not meaning to hit like Whitley Strieber because I I love I love everything that he does and yeah. I love communion and stuff like that. But still, like you know, I'm I'm just saying as compared to like something that's you know that's pretty up pretty up there, pretty out there. Yeah. I would say uh, I think with everything with injured cold, I think is it seems a little bit more toned down. <laughs> In I think, my opinion, yeah. like I mean, I think I think. Woody Derenberger definitely had an experience. Absolutely. Oh yeah, I believe that. Like without a doubt. I don't. Like always, I, I have no way of knowing what the actual nature of that experience was, but I think he definitely experienced something wild. Yeah. Um, I love that he's like, he's such a regular dude. Oh yeah. You know what I mean? Like if yeah, you listen to the interview and all that, like. There's one part that stands out to me, which is like right after he did the interview, he goes home and there's like a little gathering of friends and acquaintances and stuff outside of his house. They just want they want to hear the story again in person. Right. Right. And he eventually says, you guys have to leave. I have to work in the morning. No, but that that's a daily thing. Like it becomes so bad that like. His family is forced to uproot their lives because people are there. Like, I mean, it it got so bad that people were hiding in the trees with shotguns waiting for him to be visited. Like, yeah. So it it was it was it was a really rough time for him, for sure. Yeah. See, this that is another checkmark in the I believe he had an experience column because like always, I always believe someone whose life is ruined by the experience. Oh yeah, more. I mean, they, the guy, yeah, like, and he didn't. He really had nothing to gain from any of this. Like, he didn't gain it. Like, the, he did the visitors from Lanulos book, and like, literally made nothing out of it. You know, made nothing but he a mockery of himself with all of his sure. interviews, like radio interviews, everything. Yeah, I mean, yeah, he he gained a you know, I'd like to say like a cult following of people that believed yeah. and were interested in everything and wanted to see the UFOs for themselves but like as he mentioned multiple times like people came out people saw people saw me talk to like you know 
these people and yeah sure. there's there's also people telling the exact same things that i'm saying and yeah like nobody's putting this together and uh, buying it yeah so yeah i which See, is unfortunate for sure i think there is room for speculation on whether or not the the events from the book actually took place there i mean you could easily speculate that like visitors from Landulos was his attempt whether how whether how you know no matter how successful it was what was his attempt to capitalize on what had happened to him you know what that's I mean? fair um but there were also others that had visited Landulos that also described it the exact same way that he did without yeah. talking and hearing his side of it as well see that's the crazy stuff what was the what was it like Vavek or Vadig, it's like Vadig. I, I called him Vadig, but it might be okay. like Vadig, Vadig, but I believe it's Vadig. Something like that. Yeah. Um, the encounters with him were happening like pretty much simultaneously. Yeah, simultaneously. Right? There were also others that I didn't even talk about. I mean, there's a whole slew of other ones of people yeah. that got to go to Lanulos, had their own version of Ender Cold. Like his Vadig was his version of, of Ender Cold. Right. Um, you know, like there were several visitors from Lanulos that like came and brought people back to their planet. Like also on Lanulos, there's a, a couple from Mexico that have, that had lived there for 40 years. Um, when when he like when he like got to walk around and meet people, uh, he yeah. met them and he was like he he said that like they looked like they might have been in their 50s. You know, like they, they looked very act they were very active. Like they were playing like what would be comparable to our tennis, basically. Um, and he asked them, like, you know, how long have you lived there? They've been there for 40 years. And he, he asked just, you know, for the sake of, like, just knowing, like, how old? How old are you? And he's like, well, I'm 96, and my wife is, like, 85 or 87. Yeah. And because, I mean, their life expectancy is 125 to, what was it, like, 175 Earth years? Yeah. And so, yeah. like, I mean, these people are literally at the prime of their lives. Um, You know, and... and yeah kicking it which is awesome um but yeah yeah and they they had been there like and there there have been you know and he like also um Derenberger said that like he the first time that he actually got to visit Lanulos and actually put on the ground like visit yeah you know they they told him if your family ever wants to come if you ever want to move here you guys are are welcome to do so if that were me I'd be yeah. like where do I sign up let's go <laughs> yeah all right I'm into it. I get to join a nudist colony too. Like, right. this I was is like say, a win-win, man. I was gonna say the couple from Mexico probably got abducted from a nudist colony, and they're like, "Hey, we fit right in." <laughs> right? Yeah, for sure. That's the kind of weird out there. I mean, that it's like, but they also like the way that they believe is that you know, is there's one, there's one true God. They don't believe in any other religions. There's no other religions there. They believe sure. in like one God, which is the maker of all things, whatever, you know, and we're not going to get into religion part of it, whatever. But, uh, you know, so they, they feel that they were made and they were made to be naked. Like in the sure. only time that they wear clothing is when they, they go they through to. their cold season or they have factories too. Like he was taken to okay. a steel factory and he's like, he's like, I once worked in a steel factory too. Like the people that are working with the like the hottest area, they wear layers of clothing. Yeah. Everybody else is out there just you know, 
Just laboring <laughs> naked. Just laboring naked, right? Yeah, I mean, which I don't know. I like that. Like, I like how freeing that is. So weird. It, it is a little weird, <laughs> but you know, just because yeah. we're not used to. It. I mean, for Christ's sake, we don't even have like tits on TV. Sure. And that is something that most other countries do. And and I, I apologize yeah. if tits is too vague, or, like vulgar, but you know, no, like it's, it's that's real thing. Like I don't understand why we're so like prudish that yeah. like it's like a <laughs> there's boobies. Like it's, yeah. it shouldn't be like that. Like that just uh, yeah. I don't know. I mean that that's that's a different argument, I guess. But still, sure. I mean, they do. He does a good job of of articulating the like peaceful nature of Lanyard. Oh yeah, for right? sure. Like, and that all ties into that, right? This just they all accept each other. They all like see each other as one. Right. They're all, one They're all thing. brothers and sisters. Yeah. Like. You know, and they don't believe in divorce. Divorce is like a big, a big thing that like, if a couple gets divorced, they have to have approval from their parents and everything else. Like they have to go through this like major process. They're also heavy on, um, like, uh, controlling their population and stuff like that. Like each couple is only allowed two children. They can adopt as many as they want. Because they still have adoption, they still have like uh, uh-huh. um, they they have orphanages, but they never like ever reach the point of being very old at all because they're adopted right away. Sure, um, you know, so yeah, I mean, it's a very wholesome planet in a sense. Yeah, definitely. I mean, having one religion goes a long way for creating peace. Yeah, I mean, for sure. And I mean, yeah. that's the thing. Like, and he said that like they they've never had any type of war. They don't even understand the word hate. Yeah. And like, regardless of how like much Derenberger tried to explain it, like you know it, they didn't understand. Like they felt like their problem and the reason that they could never that obviously we could never be one is the fact that we're out here teaching people to to kill people, right? And that's not something that they do. Like you know, that's right. not something they believe in at all. Because we as a planet are so divided. Extremely divided, yeah. but also by just extremely silly views on things. Sure. You know? Um, it, I mean, I wonder I, I wonder if Derenberger was kind of like a proto-hippie. Because this is like right before the hippie movement blew up. Yeah. And this is all very much like... Landulus I mean, this is, is like kind the of height like what, of the hippie movement. Yeah. Like that, well, yeah, you're right. It's kind of like... It, it's yeah, really it's right getting before it blows there. up. Yeah. yeah. Um, but this is like, Lanulos is basically what every hippie commune hoped they were going to be. Well, then they you need know? to move to Lanulos because <laughs> they succeeded. <laughs> yeah. No, I, I love it I, though, man. I do. I do remember when I first read the book being relieved that it didn't turn into some weird alien sex orgy. <laughs> well, as these are want to do as we talk about this um i'll just bring this this other random fact uh to your ear holes here um so you know how like he talks about like these people that work in like these factories like he he was talking like you know like normally after that i'd go i'd, I'd go home to after a long day like wash off all the grime and everything off of me well in lanulus they have literally a pool that spans the the edge of the planet and this is more so like everybody goes out there nightly, daily, whatever, 
to wash, to bathe. Like yeah. that's that's where they, it's like almost like a communal bathing area. Sure. It's like think of like a you know like a hot spring or something, right? Yeah. Um, but yeah, and it's just like you know, which is which, it's a really neat concept. It's like something that like it's very freeing for them to do. It's it doesn't like it's very clean. It's very you know I mean yeah versus like wasteful water and stuff like that. Our water consumption is out of control. And they literally have this communal spot that's just always just cleaning itself and yeah. Which is pretty cool. Like I like that idea. It's me. Again with the hippie commune. That's that's right. That's why I'm going with that, yeah. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah, for sure. Um Okay, so let's reel it back a little bit to the to that initial encounter. Right, yeah. Um so he describes himself First off, I love in the interview when he talks about he doesn't point to the city, but he f- he feels like he pointed to the city. Right, yeah. He he's basically seeing point. in his mind that yeah. he's like pointing off in the direction of the city. Yeah. Um, but like he, Andred Cold describes himself as a searcher, which Correct. I always found very interesting. I mean, it's. This is, he's very much an observer if you're like you like know an, hip on fringe they yeah. just a show fringe yeah uh yeah. but yeah an observer a searcher like you know i mean i feel like they're one and the same but they're they're more so like looking to find that line that we can slowly pull back and you know eventually become one but like find like because his his whole goal Andrew Cold's whole goal with Woodrow Derenberger was to for him to get their their message out there right like you know that they they believe in peace they believe in all these things that we as human beings don't like and you know we're going about things all wrong and you know like he's basically looking for people that can spread that message that can eventually help bring that like that line back to where we can become one we can all be like live in harmony and peace and nudity nudity yeah (laughs) i mean (laughs) at its core it's very in line with the message of all the like sort of the standard message of all the contactee stuff from the 50s and and 60s of like you know this is what can happen one day if you stay in line with what you're doing exactly yeah Yeah. change your ways basically yep yeah Mm -hmm. um there's there's a detail that i love where he describes the sound of the door on the craft the craft that's shaped like a giant shake weight um it's a it's the, an old kerosene lantern yeah chimney it's sort of like a rounded <laughs> like a rounded dumbbell shape yeah kind of yep um but he describes the door that it sounded like a heavy car door yeah yeah he did uh yeah. he's you know and he said that's what it looked like too yeah. it opened from the side yeah that so uh what i didn't include in the story was that the first time he ever goes into the the craft and uh, he's like they're showing him around. He like happens to lay his hand down on this like blue platform. It's like this like blue spot. I don't I don't really know how to describe it. All of a sudden the door slams shut, 
and he like he says that he thinks to himself like oh man what did i just do like what i i'm uh-huh. in trouble and like Andrew colt starts laughing because of course telepathically he can hear his thoughts he's like yeah. no you're you're right like all you did was close the door <laughs> <laughs> and so he's like how do i open he's like lay your hand back on there and opens back up um yeah but yeah he he like in the interview that he did he described it as looking like a, a normal vehicle door like it's yeah. just really weird is that instead of like that. hydraulic doors that are just yeah you know like, like whatever yeah star trek doors yeah for sure yeah not like, but, like just, yeah you have these like like i described in the last episode which happens throughout all this this stuff in west yeah. virginia you have these like very terrestrial descriptions of things that are supposedly extraterrestrial um which that yeah. used to bother me so much to hear that you know like um when we did oh the one in texas the aurora one um, yes when yeah. we did aurora like the thing where they find papers yeah they're like <laughs> there are things yeah they're like descriptions where people like get onto the alien craft on a rope ladder yeah and like you know what i mean just like the silly little, shit like right that. yeah things that like are they building a treehouse or something like what's going exactly. on exactly yeah uh, um i used humanizes to humanize that too much yeah and s- sometimes sometimes sure sometimes i used to i used to really hate that like it it bothered me so much because i couldn't wrap my head around how someone could believe these crafts were legitimately extraterrestrial and think that they had, you know, rope ladders and car doors and glass windows. And All this advanced technology that they have, sure. but yet they're still using, like, wooden doors. Like, you exactly. know, like, shit like that. Right. Yeah, I, yeah. I get it. I mean, yeah. I, I do. I definitely get it. But but I think I'm, like, I think I just realized that I'm past the, like, trying to convince people that it's not extraterrestrials. <laughs> okay. I'm so like, where are you at now? If there's like a scale, where are you at? I mean, I'm so far past it. You just embracing it? That no, <laughs> the opposite. <laughs> the opposite. I'm right. like, I'm so far past that that I'm just done like trying to convince people. Right. I I think I I just see those things now, like like the car door and the the rope ladder and papers in the cockpit and all that as like. Those are just nice little bullet points on the this is definitely at least somewhat created by the mind of the experiencer. Yeah. I mean I man, this is again, this is where I go back and forth. Because I agree with you. I, I definitely agree. And I know we've talked a lot about uh, this this concept. Yeah. You know, which I, I do like. I definitely agree to an extent, but at the same time, like I don't know. I feel like some of it is, it's, it's not evolution. It's not like adapting. It's not like even their technology slowly increasing and getting better. I think it's more so like, it's almost like par for the course of like the the time period. I don't know. Yeah. I, I don't. I don't really know how I'm how I'm gonna explain that properly and yeah. do it justice. But yeah. That's okay. You're working on it. I'm right. working on it. We'll get there one day. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. No, but like the thing is that that still ha- leaves a billion questions. Even, you know, that could be 
these other these beings of some other nature are they just flipping through like the rolodex of our minds to find <laughs> something that works for us you know and then Maybe. they present themselves that yeah. way so, I mean, um, all these craft, like, there's so many different shapes and sizes, and yeah, you have cigar shape, you have pyramid, you have, you know, like, diamond, you have circular, you have, yeah, exactly. I mean, there's there's so yeah. many, the, this shake weight, apparently shaped yeah. craft, like, yeah. <laughs> the classic saucer, of course. And you have, of course, your zeppelins, you know, from back yeah. in, like... Uh, World War Two times and stuff like that. Like, yeah, yeah. I mean, you know, because if I we want to talk about it like that, we've gotten into that too. Like, literally yeah. flying ships. Yeah, going all the way back to like the 1600s, where they were seeing literal wooden ships yeah. flying in the sky. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Or or blimps and you know things like that. Yeah. Like, so I mean, I think it, I think a lot of it does have to do with what how they're presenting. Because like in this story, when they when they talk about it, like Indrid Cold is like very much for making making us aware of their presence. Yeah. You know, like the fact that like like the only the the thing I guess the bad part about that is like we're known for trying to shoot down these crafts or trying to whatever else yeah. and like and it's impossible because they're obviously they're faster than anything we have available and it's like you know, it's, sure. it's like, yeah, they can always outrun it, but at the same time, we're always doing everything we can to discourage. Exactly. Peace. Yeah. But there's a I lot mean, of instances where, you know, Derenberger, like, he has people that want to see him, and, and, like, he contacts Indrid, hey, like, these people want to see these things, you know? Yeah. And they're very open. They come down in their crafts, they'll show them off, like, you know, they're, they're out and about, like, he's like, hey, and he's contacting papers and people like, if you want to see these, they're out here where, where I'm at, or just look out your window. But yeah. it's never, it was never printed. Like nobody ever yeah. actually did anything because nobody wanted to listen to him. See, and that was a detail in your story that I had never really glommed onto before. This Indrid instructs him in the, during that initial encounter, he tells him to alert the authorities. Right. Yeah. And let them know what happened. Yeah, Which exactly. Is, that is so unique for a for a UFO. He's a, he's a searcher. For an alien that contact. is that is his purpose is to develop that relationship, to develop that awareness, and eventually like get us in in harmony. Like you know, like yeah. that that like I said, that was his overall goal. Indrid is also very concerned with Woody's comfort level. Yeah, true. He's always like, doing everything he can to keep him level-headed, yeah. like, you know, like... Like, if you want to speak out loud, you can. Right. If you want to speak telepathically, you can. Like, whatever works best for you. He's very considerate of of Woodrow's emotional state. Yeah. And that kind of, like, falls in line with the idea of them generating an image that would work for him. Yeah. You know what I mean? Yeah, that's that's true. That's true. And I, but like the thing about it is when he goes to and, that, and I would I would think like the same like maybe they're showing him like what he you know what's going to make him more comfortable, what's going to make things yeah. easier. But as he goes to Lanulus, like everybody, they all look very human, very sure. normal, and like they. The think question that is, he could that be weird. further projection? Well, I don't think so because like I was saying, like they think that he looks weird as a as a human. 
mm-hmm. just in the fact that like I mean because there I guess like on on Lanulus too like nobody is overweight nobody is underweight everybody has exactly what they need and like as much as what you know, as much as they want and need yeah um and so, you know like you have you have Derenberger kind of this older guy that uh, a little out of shape yeah maybe a little out of shape wearing clothing. <laughs> earth clothing yeah. especially clothing of the 60s at the time you know which is gonna be a little little just uh strange so like i don't i don't know that they're they're making a they're i don't know that they're like creating a scene or creating an image in that case so here's a question though maybe they think he looks weird because not all of them are aware of the image being projected to woodrow and to to them, they, he looks way different than. They I mean, do. I suppose that. Yeah. True. Uh, that's possible. But like, even they even say like, they're you know, and even Andrew Cold says, "I'm I'm literally the same as you." Like, right. And proceeds to tell him about his about like their. Oh, I can't remember what they call them. I don't want to say Lanulostlians, whatever, I don't know. <laughs> yeah. Uh, you know, like, but about the people of their planet, like, they're very much just like humans. Interesting. You know, and they're, like, designed and, and whatever, like, as humans. Like, they breathe, they bleed, they, you know, everything yeah. else, just as, as we do. Um, And that's even that first, that first meet, that first encounter, he says, look at yeah. me. I'm the same yeah, as I'm you. I'm just like you. Exactly. Yeah. So, again, with that first encounter, a super interesting thing is how much corroboration goes on from other sources that see these that see this craft in the sky. Yeah, uh, the truck drivers that are stopped by it. Yeah, there was there was like, even an, uh, one guy that was driving down the highway and saw this exactly as 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 Darren Berger described in Cold. And said he saw this man, and he chose he chose to keep really keep going. <laughs> like, yeah, yeah, literally saw him on the side of the highway trying to get his attention, but he kept going. Like, oh, too weird. <laughs> I mean, I I would probably do the same. And now, like, I'm gonna have yeah. to think about it. I see people on the highway. Maybe I'll stop now. That's Are you from Lanyolos. <laughs> <laughs> if they say, "Huh," I go. Yeah, don't that's even... a good way to do, that's a good way to discourage hitchhikers. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> pull over and they're like hey can i get a ride that depends are you an extraterrestrial are we going to lanulos tonight what are we doing they're like they're like i think i'll wait for the next one it's only 14.6 light years away from earth yeah 14.6 billion sorry yeah oh shit yeah it's it's and it's only a 30 minute ride from what he can tell in the craft that that's another random fact i guess to bring up yeah that space folding I mean, yeah, for sure. All right. Mm-hmm. Or it was all in his mind, so it only took 30 minutes. <laughs> they actually just traveled through a wormhole. Yeah, could be. Yeah. Um, I like the folding <laughs> concept. I think that's way cooler. Yeah. One thing that cracked me up was Indrid and his friend Carl. <laughs> Carl! Carl! <laughs> <laughs> I know. That's- Carl Carl Ardo is his full name. Yeah. yeah. Just such a plain <laughs> name. I mean a lot of their <laughs> names are literally just super plain. Like Yeah. They've got like Franks and Bettys and 
you know, Gary's. I mean, they always they always say the hardest part of writing fiction is coming up with names. <laughs> <laughs> but then you have people like Camillus. Yeah. You know, an so. almost normal name. Also, his wife's name was Kimmy. So, <laughs> yeah, and his name was Kimmy. Endred, and that's not a normal name. No, like, yeah. Endred isn't. That's what makes Carl sound so funny. <laughs> Endred and Kimmy and Carl. <laughs> yeah, I know. I oh, I man. thought the same thing. Um, um just such a random random name yeah. for. Hey, this is my buddy. This is Carl. Yeah. I right. can't believe that two civilizations would have evolved over, you know, 14 or so billion light years apart and both arrived at, we should call people Carl. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. He could have been like Hank or something. Yeah. Could have been anything. Yeah. So like, he basically becomes like bros with these guys. Yeah. He's yeah. like hanging out all the time. Yeah. yeah. Going, just zipping over to Lanulos for a hang session. I mean, yeah. Why not? Yeah. It's weird. That's my idea. It's of like a good time. making friends with like a billionaire who's like, "You want to go to Milan for lunch?" I mean, that's uh, that's the thing is I'm I'm like I'm really banking on getting my pilot's license right now. Like I'm I decided yeah. that you know, so like and I keep thinking about like these things like because I I watched this video of this guy and it's completely off topic. But now that we're talking about it, because it kind of sure. it kind of fits. As they were like they were just working on his plane one day and they're like, "Hey, let's go get some food." Hop in the plane and they go to fly to buy some food like such a yeah. random foreign concept to me exactly. but you know that would be cool you want to go somewhere 400 miles away for lunch exactly yeah yeah it's it's crazy um some people live like that That's, you know and there's yeah. that like there's that trope of like the romance story of like the girl who gets like falls for the super rich guy who's like i could fly you to paris for dinner Right, yeah, and you know, yeah, yeah, that's what I'm thinking of with uh, Woody and Endred. Here. Yeah, I mean, <laughs> let's go to Lanulos tonight for some <laughs> yeah, hot for a romantic dinner uh, on the bathing. <laughs> I was beach. gonna say on the bathing. <laughs> <laughs> I love it, man. Uh, so fucking weird. My goal in life now is to just bathe in that spot. <laughs> that's it's on my bucket list. That's a lot. It's a lofty goal. I've, I'm gonna bank on it, man. After this, better. After this episode, those Lanulosians or whatever. <laughs> <laughs> Lanulosites. That's what I'm calling them. <laughs> I like that. <laughs> yeah, I'm banking on one of them at least. Be like, hey, I heard your podcast. Uh, you want to come and check it out? I'm like, buddy, you have me. You heard my <laughs> podcast. <laughs> right. I'll sit and talk to anyone who says that to me. <laughs> um, out of all the like zany shit in the story, all the like you know wild stuff. Honestly, the one thing that that like upset me is the fucking bonkers story about Saturn. Yeah, he he goes into a, a lot. He goes a lot more in depth with that, uh, which is actually, it's really neat. Uh, the whole, like the whole, especially in the visitors from Lanulo's book, he, he does a lot more, does it more justice, I guess. Cause I, I only like briefly touched on, it was very, very agricultural and people live in the planet. Like he explains yeah. that the planet is actually like, it's almost like bull shaped in the middle. 
and that these okay. people live, you know, on the inside. And like he had never like he had never understood the rings around Saturn, but like as Indrid explained it, like the way that the light hits these like ice particles, it creates like this rainbow effect that creates these rings and stuff. And got more in depth, like, you know, because he was told like people live on this planet. He's like looking around and doesn't see like factories, he doesn't see like homes, he doesn't see anything. He just sees very like just vast forests and stuff like that and then come to find out like these people actually live on the inside of the planet because the way that the planet is set up in this like bowl shape it it, the only way for existence is basically from the inside but like we know that's not true have we been to saturn like yeah we've definitely sent sensors but i've not been there you haven't we're we're pretty sure know. that yeah, but now you sound a little bit like a flat earther. <laughs> oh, don't even like don't even put me in that category. Like I haven't seen Earth from space, so I'm not gonna trust the word of the people. Hey, who I've have. seen pictures of Earth from space, so I know it's not flat. Those are composite pictures. Yeah, those are Photoshop. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, no, but like, um, anyone listening who like who knows more about what we've actually done with Saturn, if you've ever been to Saturn. <laughs> let us know (laughs) no i mean like anyone who's more up on like what we've actually done with because i know that we've sent like we have really good pictures of saturn like very good photos i'm pretty sure we're you know the leading minds are fairly confident that there are no gigantic arboreal forests or inner populations but we also haven't been close enough to really I don't know if we have. I don't know. I thought we've only been to, like, as far as, like, the rings of Saturn. To know that it's literally all ice particles, and that's, like, as much as we really know at this point. Because isn't, like, Saturn also, like... I can't remember if it's a gaseous planet or not. I, it is. Yeah, I thought I thought it was. And so I thought we really, like... We've only seen, like, very vague pictures that give us more of, like, these... Uh, kind of just the outer atmosphere. So we can't really see... You know, these things that... But I could be wrong. I could be wrong. I think I remember... Yeah, I think... Because, I mean, I haven't paid any attention to astronomy since fucking my first year of college. I don't... So I don't know. I I'm, I really don't know. I'm just sort of talking out of my ass. And I like... I, but I'm fairly certain that we have actually sent, like, probes into the gas. Hmm. I'm pretty sure... I could be completely wrong, but let's just do a Google search. Okay. Yeah, I'm curious. Four robotic spacecraft have visited Saturn. NASA's Pioneer 11 provided the first close look in September of 1979. NASA's twin Voyager 1 and the Voyager 2 spacecraft followed up with flybys nine months apart in 1980 and 1981. The planet is mostly swirling gases and liquids deeper down. While a spacecraft would have nowhere to land on Saturn, it wouldn't be able to fly through unscathed either. The extreme pressures and temperatures deep inside the planet would crush, melt, and vaporize any spacecraft trying to fly into the planet. We can't get into it. Right. But, I mean, they say that pretty matter-of-factly, like, this is what the planet's made of. Yeah, as far as we know. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, fair enough. All right. Well, the more you know about Saturn, this isn't an episode about that. Yeah. Still. So, where do you feel like this 
sort of all this fits into what was going on at the time. I mean, the whole Mothman phenomenon. That's like, like I mentioned in the beginning, like I'm still kind of on the fence whether or not I believe that this even ties in whatsoever. Sure. But I also, as much as, you know, as much as I can say that, I don't believe in coincidence either. So, yeah. Like, I feel, I feel like this could have been part of it. Just with everything else that was going on, the, I mean, there was a UFO frenzy at the time. Like, I mean, it was, it was massive. Like, why wouldn't something like Mothman and Indra Cold be introduced in that too? Yeah. So, you know, like, I, yeah, I could say, you know, I could say, like, due to the time period, due to everything that was going on, it just kind of made sense to kind of, to kind of come about for Indra Cold to make himself known, for Mothman to start terrorizing people and also becoming this, like, you know, massive omen or whatever, you know, whatever we'd want to say. Um, yeah. yeah, so I mean, if I can say one or the other, then why not both? Yeah, fair. Fair. Now, um, Woodrow Derenberger's daughter, Tanya Derenberger, she, she has like sort of built a relationship with a, a lot of the people in, you know, the, in our little podcasting niche. Um, particularly Asher's from On Wednesdays We Talk Weird. Um, they've become, like, friends, basically. And in our fireside chat with her, I think, what, like a month ago, maybe? It's called um, More Than a Moth, Ma'am. Oh, yeah, with yeah. Asher's. Yep. Um, she actually goes into, like, what it's been like, sort of, like, cultivating this relationship with Tanya. And Tanya has some pretty incredible stories that sort of continue the injured cold legacy. Um, she has, according to her, she's, she maintained contact and had like regular visitations from Indrid over the years. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, yeah, that's, that is, that is a kind of a pretty big thing. Um, is the, I guess one of the big parts was at the time that all this was going on, like especially his wife didn't want anything to do with any of it sure the kids of course like they knew you know knew like what was going on like you know it was kind of a thing where they had also even like seen uh Indrid cold and like knew of him and knew of people from lanulos and knew like of of woodrow like having this relationship but at the same time like it was just destroying the family Sure, but yeah, I mean, so many years later, she becomes like more of a part of this because he died in what nineteen ninety, I think. Uh, I think Woodrow so, did, yeah. yeah. Um, so then it was my understanding it was like after that that she started to kind of open up and and uh, gained contact. So yeah, um, and I obviously we would love to have Tanya on the show for a fireside chat. Oh, without a doubt, man, that would be awesome. I would love to talk to her about her experiences over the she years. She could clear a lot of this I've, up. <laughs> maybe. Yeah. I, I mean, I've listened to her talk several times, and she she has some pretty incredible stuff. It's But it's all very, like, she had a very friendly relationship. They sort of, he would just sort of show up and chat with her for a while and then take off again. Right. And... I'm unclear on whether or not she's been to Lanulos. Um, 
Well, Not I sure. mean, they did offer to let the whole family move there, so... That's true. That's true. Um, they should have moved there instead of Cleveland. Right. Way better. Now, in the uh, the Hellier dock, uh-huh. wasn't wasn't it Tanya that they had talked to that, yeah, had... Yes. It was talking about, like, the contact that she had been having, and... Uh, yeah. But, yeah, I can't remember if... Because I know we talked briefly before the show started. If Indrid had died at that point. So... Yeah, I... If I'm wrong, and I know there are a hundred people out there that will correct me if I'm wrong, but I believe, according to Tanya Derenberger, he died, I think, in 2017 or 2018 in some sort of crash. I'm pretty sure. But... Yeah, I'm pretty sure there, according to her, there was an accident, and right. she, as far as she knew, he had died. Um, I think hmm. she, yeah, because I remember her talking about how she was visited by his sons after he died, and his sons were the ones who, like, broke the news to her. Okay. Um, yeah, I, I mean, I can't remember that. Like I said, it's been a while, so I can't remember exactly what was all done in her set at that point. Because she had basically built, like, a friendship, a relationship with him over right. the years. Yeah, and, and she so, said, like, he would come and visit her on holidays and stuff like that, and... Yeah. 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 So... Yeah. So, yeah, open invitation, Tanya, to come and, and talk to us about Also, about uh, everything. family of Andrew Cold, open invitation. Sure, sons, let's get, get in get, here. Let's get over here. Or any... Or Camillus, um, you know. Or or any improv actor willing to pretend to be under cold. No, oh, no. <laughs> <laughs> let's not let's I'll, not have any of that. I'll take that too. I'll take uh, it. Uh, all right, whatever. <laughs> but look, man, I'll take all of it. I mean, you know, I yeah. As, if it's good content, I guess why not, right? <laughs> sure. <laughs> I do know that according to Tanya. What Tanya says is that according to Indrid Cold, he was in no way related to the Mothman phenomenon. That it was like two separate things happening close in time. Yeah, and that's that's possible too. That's you know, I like that kind of throws it into that quote unquote coincidental. Sure. But, you know maybe not coincidental, it just happenstance. Yeah. Which it could have been. Yeah. I don't know. That's true. I mean, that honestly very well could could be. That's why, like I said, I'm you know, I'm not gonna say one or the other because you know, at yeah. that time, like, we're talking about Mothman. Like we yeah. could be talking about UFOs and like whether or not Mothman was a part of that. Yeah. Absolutely. Like that could literally be the argument or their our whole conversation, but that's that's not where we're going with this. I mean, look, when we finish this series, I think more of the content will be focused on UFOs than Mothman. Oh, I, I most likely so, will. Yeah, yeah, because there was just so much happening mm-hmm. at the. I mean, our next episode is really going to get into the meat of the Mothman encounters and like pour through those. Yeah. But but you got to have that foundation. You got to understand how much weird shit was happening in oh, these I, people's I lives. Know. And not only like not only was when it came to these quote-unquote aliens making themselves known there were a whole like there were others 
like not even yeah. from Lanulus. There were people from other planets that were making themselves known. There was yeah, having uh, contact. Yeah, there was uh, just one in particular was uh, this guy was driving. He was out driving with his cousin, and um, I forget what what caused them to stop. But he starts hearing these voices, and he's he, like this tingling sensation in his head. You know, like the same telepathy thing. Uh, and he asks his cousin, like, do you hear that? She's like, no, like, what? And so, like, they end up stopping. And they're they're sitting there, like, just talking amongst each other and hear a knock at the window. Like, they look back, and there's nobody there. They look back, there's a knock at the window again. And they witness this guy, like, basically walk to the back of the vehicle with his back facing them. So, like, he was looking back, you know, back. And then all of a sudden, he hears in his head... Who is the girl? Is that your is that your wife or is that your companion? Whatever. He's like, no, this is my cousin. Like, you know, whatever else. Like talking to to him telepathically, and he's like, sure. okay, I need you to exit the vehicle and lock the doors. And so this guy's like, oh, like this is really creepy. He didn't want to do it. And then the guy's like, you know, I just just trust me. Like, exit the vehicle, lock the doors. You can be <laughs> back soon. So he's just like, all right, he does Christ. it. He does it. I don't, I wouldn't have done it, but he does it. Yeah. Uh, needless to say, I don't remember exactly what happens during that time. So a short, short while later he returns. Um, and then, so he, cause he had actually, that guy, um, if I remember right, he had contacted Derenberger, like looking for a place to find like CUFOs, like a good spot for checking them out. So he like gives them this like spot and they're pretty active. So and sure. this happened after they spotted some, and they spotted these like pink crafts. Okay. Um. So later on, they end up having that encounter. So then he goes back to Derenberger, and Derenberger ends up contacting Andrew Cold, like, "Hey, like, is this your people? Like, what's going on?" And he's like, "No, this is this isn't anybody that we know." Like, so Andrew Cold, amongst several other len- lanulites, len- lanulosite—I don't know, whatever we decide to call them—they lanulosites. <laughs> there we go. <laughs> they end up coming back and like basically set up this uh like stage this meet with this this guy come to find out like Ender cold like it forces him and his lenulose partners uh force these guys to get back in their craft and leave and they're they like fly these like pink kind of crafts whatever come to find out okay. they're they're what they describe as humanoids um and okay. then the story of Betty and Barney Hill the race that they had came in contact were actually with they were actually these humanoids okay um and so, so less polite right yeah they so the way <laughs> on their planet the way things work is if something is left unattended it's any it's up for grabs for anyone so they okay. they have this mindset of like if anybody leaves anything they 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 can have it so sure. they try to trick people into leaving, leaving vehicles things. or whatever else so they can take them interesting yeah um so i mean you know so like we we have all this going on at the same time and you know numerous other uh other ones from other planets and stuff like that that are here at the same point like there was a i I can't remember some of the other planets that were also you know here at the same time yeah there was all kinds of contact going on during this right right and that's when we even learned that there was a uh there's a like the people so on lanulos they don't have like say like a strict like law system they have you know what i mean because it's they're all children you know what is it like god's children or children of god whatever yeah. they see themselves as 
but they have what's called a guiding council. And their guiding council basically consists of members of different worlds uh, that, that basically belong to this like intergalactic circle. And okay. they oversee all these different planets, and and I I know we're we're getting a little bit more, you know, kind of uh, Star Trek, <laughs> a little bit, but yeah. yeah, which I love. I mean, and we've talked about that with uh, Sue Sue. Uh, oh my gosh, what can I think of her last name right now? From uh, like Dockside stuff, yeah, yeah. Uh, which I, yeah, I think I want to get her on the show sometime too because I want to talk. Yeah, like, that'd be great. I want to talk about this because she's like very open about all of that stuff and like even talks about like we get Bigfoot as part of this intergalactic uh, alliance and stuff and you know like being a being like a big part of this big like circle sort of thing so I'm wondering if it's if it's all one and the same yeah because it, it very well be. might be but yeah um, sure yeah there's there's so much more I have I have a lot more prepared for it but we definitely don't have the time to like really yeah. dive into some of the some of the kind of cool stuff um, yeah. So I would leave yeah. that uh, definitely open for discussion if anybody yeah. wants to like talk about some of the really cool stuff on Lanulos. Yeah, I mean, if you guys are interested in Indrid Cold from here, definitely read Mothman Prophecies and definitely read Visitors from Lanulos. Yes, and then also yes. Tanya Derenberger's book, uh, Fifty Years with Indrid Cold, or Fifty Years with Indrid yes. Cold. Yeah, yeah, all um, and. Yeah. And she's done tons of great interviews. Um, also, our, again, our friend Asher's from On Wednesdays We Talk Weird. She did a series with a podcast called Infinite Rabbit Hole that was like a six-part series, and each episode is like two hours long, and it's all about Endred Cold. I mean, that's that's very, very much like a real thing that we could do here. Yeah. Like, this is in <laughs> itself a rabbit hole, for sure. Yeah, definitely. So that's, you know, just another thing you could check out if you want to go way deeper on it. For sure. But I don't know, how do you feel? Do you feel like this is a... This, I mean, outside of thinking, you know, not saying like Tiny Derenberger's like Sure. You know, whole like this is not part of it. How do you? What do you feel about it? Honestly, I think. I mean, I'm someone who tends toward the this is all one thing. Okay. Um, and I think you can't. What I know for certain is that you can't talk about Mothman without talking about all this, right? Because I think I think it's it all goes to if nothing else it goes to show you the mindset of the people who are experiencing all this, all the other things they were dealing with, all the things that were in the news at the time. All, you know what I mean? Like yeah, how many sure. people, how many people from that would later have run-ins with Mothman saw this interview that, that Woodrow did. Yeah. By the way, that's another awesome resource. Go watch that. It'll be linked in the, in the description. That interview is yeah, incredible. It's, it's super cool just to listen to. He did it the sure. next day. Yeah. So literally, like, literally the next day. Yeah. It's like fresh. There's also this super cool moment in that interview where the interviewer kind of challenges him because he gives like the interviewer is very gracious with him. He's he's very, very polite, very open to what he has to say. But there's a moment where he like challenges him because he tells the interviewer like about how tall and about how much he weighed 
Android Wade. He's like, he's like, well, how much, how tall do you think I am? How much do you think I weigh? And he's like, oh, you're about five, about five, eight, like 140, 150 pounds. And he's like, well, that's pretty much right on. <laughs> like he tries to like trip him up a little, you know, like to show that it's hard to tell how tall or how much someone weighs, but he nails it. Right. So if that, you know, if that helps at all. Yeah. Yeah. I know it's, it's, it's a really solid interview. Um, yeah. And like all the stuff, like they, they, they called the quote unquote Durenberger tapes now are all yeah. part of the, uh, the Mothman museum, which is pretty cool. Yep. Definitely. Yep. But yeah, honestly, I, th- I think that's going to wrap up uh, today's episode. Episode 68, the Mothman phenomenon part two, Endred cold. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. From the bottom of our weird, possibly alien, maybe ghostly, probably cryptid hearts for listening. We absolutely love having the chance to discuss all these wild creatures and events every week, and it's your continued attention that allows us to carry on. We want to get to know each and every one of you, so please come and check us out on all the socials. At campfire.tales.podcast on Instagram and Facebook, at campfire.totsau on Twitter, and you can also visit our website at campfirepodcastnetwork.com. If you love the show, please rate and review it. It's what truly helps us continue bringing your weekly dose of the strange and unsettling. And a special thanks to Greg Martin at Reverent Music on Instagram for his contributions to the beautiful music that you hear every week under the debrief. You can find more of his tunes at reverbnation.com reverent. It's fantastic, fantastic stuff. Go give that a listen. And that's it. Until next time, I'm Ryan. I'm Jordan. And remember, campers, stay weird and trust in the unknown. unknown.